Transmitting from the lovely little city of Taylor, Texas, you are listening to Plow and Hose, a show dedicated to the joys and challenges of organic backyard gardening in Central Texas. I am your host, Julie Rydell. Welcome to the show. Hi, plant people. Happy New Year. I am so glad to be back with the first Plow and Hose episode and podcast of 2021. I really hope everyone was able to enjoy the holidays and, you know, I hope you made the best of things since a lot of us had to do things a little bit differently this year thanks to coronavirus pandemic. I don't know about you, but Christmas is actually easier for me and I mean, I I, of course, do miss our usual out-of-town celebration with my side of the family. But overall, staying home was less stressful, and we still were able to have a really special um, holiday, even if it was a little bit different. Now, I've got to admit, though, I was a little bit disappointed about not being able to go out for New Year's. Now, I've never been a big New Year's Eve um person or really much of a stay out super late kind of gal but the past few years new years in downtown taylor with um, friends had kind of started being like the school annual thing that we always did so this year i was disappointed that we couldn't go do that because um it was always so so much fun to go see friends and neighbors out and about and everybody just excited for the new year but really this year I was totally fine with just staying home and staying healthy, pandemic or not. I don't have time to be sick, and I definitely don't want to get anybody else sick either. So we stayed home, and I went to bed early, and that was really nice too. So being healthy, or at least working towards being healthier, has always been a goal for me, and a big part of why I enjoy backyard gardening. Gardening and yard work is really relaxing to me and I like being outside. And I love, of course, all the fresh fruits and vegetables I get to harvest. You know, even though we don't really grow a super huge garden where, you know, we have enough that we need to freeze or we can everything, Um, It's still really satisfying to grow some things to supplement meals. I just love that. I love being able to just walk out into the garden and pick some fresh herbs to add to a recipe or pick enough lettuce for a little green salad or have enough okra to make a nice um, side dish. It's just so great. I love that. And, you know, even for um, my New Year's Day greens, I just walked out to the garden and I clipped a bunch of kale and some broccoli leaves to make a pot of really tasty, yummy uh, greens so I could have uh, good luck this year. While I was out there, um, I went ahead and picked a couple of broccoli crowns that um, were out there and I'm really looking forward to having some fresh broccoli today. Um, I've got got some bacon, and so I'm thinking maybe I might make a raw broccoli salad with with bacon. I don't know. I haven't really decided yet. Um, 
it needed to be picked, so I picked it, and I'll figure out what to do with it later. You know, since I cut the crowns out of the top of that broccoli, those plants won't produce any more big center crowns. Um, the crowns are the big heads that form right in the middle of the plant. Um, the crown is the main flower head of the broccoli. All those little bumps on the parts of the broccoli that um, we eat are actually immature flower buds. They are tender and delicious, whether you eat them raw or if you cook them. Being cool season plants, broccoli doesn't mind the colder temperatures that we get here in Central Texas, and it and all the other brassica crops like cabbage and Brussels sprouts and kale, they can actually benefit from a dip in the temperatures. When the temperatures drop, um, these plants react to the cold by producing sugars, and this is called cold sweetening. It happens when um, the plant breaks down the starches that they've been storing. These sugars, uh, they convert them to, um, to sugars. And these sugars protect the plant from freezing temperatures and they act like a little layer of insulation inside the plant cells. Um, the sugar prevents the water inside the plant from um, freezing and um, frost. For us, um, the change is not that noticeable, but um, we do that little bit of sugar can actually offset any of the unpleasant bitterness that's found in broccoli. So broccoli will only form one crown per plant, but once it's picked, the broccoli will send out side shoots and form individual florets. Um, so you'll get more little flower heads. Removing the main flower head of the broccoli kind of freaks out the plant and it goes into survival mode because reproduction is the main objective of all plants. They just want to keep making more plants. Okay, so broccoli doesn't exactly freak out the way that I freak out about stuff, but they do put all their energy and efforts into making new flowers so that they can go to seed and then make a whole new generation of broccoli. And those side shoots are going to form mini florets. Um, those aren't going to get as big or as dense as the main crown. And depending on the conditions, the weather conditions, the floret will get to be uh, about the size of like a ping pong ball. But um, they're not going to get any bigger than that. But the stem, um, it will continue to grow if you let it, um, and it can get quite long, um, kind of like, um, like a cut flower has a long stem. You just cut those florets off and you eat them like you would um, the crown. All parts of the broccoli plant are edible, so if you accidentally miss one or you forget to check on your plants and one of those florets gets a long stem, it's no big deal. Just snip it off the base and then take it inside and chop it up and cook it or toss it into a salad. Those stems are nice and tender and they're going to um, add a little different texture to whatever you're making. You can also eat the um, broccoli leaves. I really love broccoli greens. 
They have a subtle broccoli flavor, and they're really similar to um, collard greens. Broccoli greens have a smoother texture, and they're softer than most um, types of kale. The leaves are super huge, and there's always plenty of them, so I don't mind picking a few of them while I wait on the crown to develop or wait on those florets to form. If you are already growing broccoli, then find a way to use those leaves. Don't let them go to waste. They are super rich in vitamin A, which is really great for supporting vision and also a healthy immune system. Broccoli leaves are just as versatile as spinach or kale. They are great just chopped up and tossed into a quick stir fry or mixed in like a quiche or into soup. Really anywhere that you would use broccoli or kale um, or if you want just to add a little extra nutrition to your meal, just chop up those um, broccoli leaves and throw those right in. You could remove the um, thick rib, the stemmy part of the leaf and then freeze the leafy part. Just toss them in um, your next smoothie if you like those green smoothies. Or you could um, pick the leaves while they're small on your broccoli plants and then you could just add them raw to a salad um, of like baby greens. You know, personally, I don't care to eat raw broccoli greens, but I think they're really great lightly cooked, you know, like, mixed in a dish where you um, take the pan off the heat and then those um, broccoli leaves are kind of slightly steamed and they stay um, kind of bright green. I really like that. Um, you know, this week, um, this past week, I came home for lunch and I kind of felt like having like a quick hot lunch. So I made some uh, fancy ramen. And, you know, by that, I mean um, the fancy ramen is the ramen that costs like a dollar per pack and not five dollars. I mean, not five for a dollar. That's what I mean by fancy ramen. Anyway, I was, um, you know, I boiled a pot of water and while that was going, I just ran out to the garden and I picked some broccoli and some kale leaves and I chopped those up real quick and put them in with the drained noodles and then I added an egg and some um, minced onion and that little liquid soy sauce packet that came with the noodles. I just mixed that all together and it was so good. It was fast, it was easy. What more could you want in a lunch? It was tasty and cheap and super nutritious. So I went back to work feeling all healthy and pretty good about the rest of the day. Earlier in the show, I mentioned how broccoli and its relatives in the cool crop family, like collard greens, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, those all tolerate and actually benefit from colder temperatures since a dip in the temperatures can trigger the plants to convert their starches into sugars, which that helps them um, resist damage from frost, um, but then again, it also makes them a little tastier. Coal crops aren't the only types of plants that get better with cold weather root veggies like turnips and carrots and beets they can too even radishes can improve in flavor with a little cold snap 
a little nip in the air is like a wake up call to those winter root vegetables. They're like, oh, it's getting cold. We better hurry up and start making some sugar so we don't freeze and die. Now, radishes are interesting little vegetables. They are also part of the brassica family and they are the little cousins to mustard and broccoli and cabbage and cauliflower and all those guys. We are probably the most familiar with the cute little round red salis radishes, um, but radishes come in all kinds of different varieties and they come in lots of different shapes and size and colors. They can be round little balls or they can be cylindrical and stubby and look like a breakfast sausage or they can be long and tapered like a supersized carrot. Now to me, radishes have to be the easiest vegetable to grow if you are a new gardener or you are helping someone get started on gardening radishes are the go-to plant they are the my first crop of vegetables they're a superstar they are just so easy and quick to grow um, that I, th I feel comfortable saying that they're pretty much the gateway plants to get people hooked on gardening okay once you plant radish seeds um, you'll have seedlings in less than a week and in about 30 days or so maybe even less you can be harvesting um, fresh little radishes just pluck them straight out of your garden the larger radishes um, the longer they they need longer time they need to be in the ground longer Big radishes like the white daikon radishes need to be in the ground twice as long as the smaller radishes. So daikons will be ready to harvest in um, 60 days or so. Here in Taylor and all of Central Texas, we have quite a long radish growing season. We can grow radishes um, seven months out of the year, which is pretty incredible. It seems to be the longest um, growing season of all the um, garden vegetables that we can plant here. You know, I'm looking at the um, my little planting guide and it shows that we can plant radishes from September all the way through the very end of March. If you love radishes, you can have a steady supply of radishes from fall through winter and even into early spring. Now, radishes really don't like warm weather. When it gets too warm, they, aren't, they won't produce um, a bulb or a root. And if they do, that root is gonna be pretty um, pungent. Some folks will use this to their advantage and use radishes as companion plants. Because radishes and their bitter compounds can help ward off and repel pests and insects from other plants in the garden. A lot of people don't like radishes because they have a strong, spicy, and hot kind of peppery taste. 
The flavor can vary between the varieties from mild to like really intense, but generally speaking, the smaller the radish, the less intense the flavor is. The flavor comes from a compound in the radish called glyco, um, glycosinolate, glycosinolate, and that is the sulfury, sharp odor and taste that radishes and mustard have. It's also in um, wasabi and horseradish. The longer the radish is in the ground, the stronger they tend to be, but it can also intensify when the temperatures warm up or the soil conditions are poor. There luckily are a few things you can do to reduce that pungent sharp taste. You can peel the outer layer off. That's where most of the glucosinolates are and removing just a thin layer from the outside will eliminate a lot of harshness. You can also try slicing radishes and soaking them for a few hours in the refrigerator in a bowl of ice water. This will take a little bit of the pungency out of the radishes um, and make them a little more mild, but it's also going to help keep those radishes um, stay crisp. The best way to get rid of all that unpleasant compound in radishes is just to cook them. You can chop them up and saute them in a little bit of butter or maybe some bacon grease. Um, when they start to get soft, they're ready to eat. They are very mild and they're delicious. And, you know, with just a little salt and maybe some um, fresh cracked pepper. Or, you know, you could also add um, a splash of vinegar or a squeeze of lemon. Or you could try some fresh herbs on them like rosemary or thyme. Um, you can also roast them in the oven. Just cut them into quarters and toss them with a little olive oil. Pop those um, little radishes into your oven and roast them for oh, 20, 25 minutes at like 350 degrees. You can roast them with other root vegetables like parsnips and carrots and bees, beets. Um, just try to cut all your veggies to be about the same size so that they roast evenly and you don't have some that are hard and some that are way overdone and kind of burnt. Both roasting and sauteing will make radishes very mild. Um, after cooking them, they'll have a texture that is similar to potatoes, but they, they won't be bland like potatoes. They'll have a nice mellow radish flavor. Um, you yeah, speaking of potatoes, if you're looking for a low carb alternative to potatoes, roasted or sauteed radishes are a nice substitute. You know, there's no way that you're going to be able to pass off roasted radish for potatoes. So don't try to trick anyone or yourself into thinking that they're going to taste like a potato. Um, but if you go out on the internet, there's a lot of really interesting radish recipes out there. And if you're wanting to try something different, I'm sure you'll find some um, radish recipe that you'll appreciate. Personally, my favorite way to prepare radishes is to ferment them. Fermentation is a way to preserve food and people have been fer fermenting vegetables for hundreds of years, hundreds of years. Um, fermentation increases the stability of fresh foods and it makes food safer to eat when there isn't any refrigeration. That's why it's been so popular. Fermentation also enhances the flavor of vegetables and it can increase um, nutrients and it um, creates probiotics. 
Um, I want to talk more about fermentation in next week's show because it's a really interesting topic and I want to be able to spend more um, time talking about it um, because today I need to finish talking all about radishes. Fermented radishes are fantastic and they are dead simple to make. Now, I know fermenting sounds really complicated if you aren't familiar with it. But, you know, most of us are familiar with a few fermented products, I mean, beer and wine, but also foods like sourdough, yogurt, sauerkraut, and then, of course, the equivalent, uh, the Korean equivalent, kimchi. There is a whole lot of science behind the fermentation process, um, but very simply, it's the process of converting carbohydrates into alcohol or acids through microorganisms like bacteria and yeast. Of course, we and barley ferment into beer and grape juice ferments into wine. But with vegetable fermentation, carbohydrates convert into acids. That preserves um, the food um, by pickling. During vegetable fermentation, bacteria break down the carbohydrates and turn them into acids and other flavor compounds. The acids make the veggies tart and sour, but it also keeps the pH low in that low acidic acid environment keeps the bad and harmful bacteria from growing and spoiling the food. All fresh produce um, have microorganisms. Um, eventually bacteria, molds, and yeast will cause um, the food to spoil. But these organisms need air to survive. So to preserve foods through fermentation, you have to create an anaerobic environment. So no air, no oxygen. And that is very easily done by um, creating and using a saltwater brine. Really, it is so easy. All you have to do is dissolve unidized salt, like sea salt, into water. Regular table salt with iodine, um, it's not going to work. You have to use unidized salt. And it's not hard to find. It's, um, you can find it easily at the grocery store. Just make sure that you get the right package um, of unidized salt or sea salt. So what you want to do is rinse and chop all of your raw vegetables and then you're going to pack them into jars and then you're going to take your um, saltwater brine and just pour those over the top. Um, you're going to want to add some sort of weight um, to keep your veggies submerged under that brine um, and then loosely cover them and then you just have to wait for the microorganisms to do their science. In about three days, they will start to get tart and tangy. Um, but in most cases, um, they'll, be, they'll be completely fermented um, in about a week. So, you know, seriously, it is just so easy to do. In order to stop um, the fermentation process, um, if you, you you can taste test them, and if um, if they're to your to your liking, you can stop the fermentation process. All you have to do is remove the weight, and then put a lid on your jar, and just stick it in the fridge, and you will stop all 
the science. All right, like I said, I want to spend some more time next week talking about fermentation. Now, I have a little warning for you. Some foods, like radishes, will produce stinky odors while they ferment. And while that's disgusting and gross smelling, um, it's perfectly normal. Those pungent compounds in radishes are um, broken down and they're released during the fermentation process. And since they are released, you won't taste them in your finished ferment. I promise you is perfectly normal. I'm going to also guarantee that every single person in your household will walk through the kitchen and they'll say, ew, what's that smell? That's so gross and disgusting. So you can just tell them it's the fermentation process. It's safe and it's fine. And that smell will go away and it won't taste bad. Or if you're tired and you just don't feel like explaining the science, you could just shrug your shoulders and kind of glance at the dog or someone else in the room. It's up to you. You are listening to Plow and Hose radio and podcast on KBSR, Black Sparrow Radio. We are a community-based radio station broadcasting from Taylor, Texas. If you are enjoying my show, I hope you will go out to the internet and look at the website, www.blacksparrowmusicparlor.com, and go out there and learn all about the other shows and the DJs and the other personalities, and also learn how to become a member and help support our radio station while you are out on the internet go check out the plow and hose facebook page um, be sure to like my show page and follow it so that you can see all the pictures and get reminders and also click on some interesting plant links and all that good stuff you can actually even leave a review if you are so inclined and i would really appreciate it if you did okay so One last thing about radishes that I found out today while researching information for today's show. And I absolutely love this so freaking much. I think it's absolutely fantastic and I hope to go one day and check it out. So in the state of Oaxaca in Mexico, they have a very special day um, to celebrate the great and bountiful radish harvest it's held every year on december 23rd and it's called noche de rabanos or night of the radishes so the story goes is that um, spanish monks brought radish seeds um, over to um, Oaxaca and they grew really well and they helped feed the Oaxacan people one year the monks forgot to harvest some of the beloved radishes And when they finally remembered to go pick them on December 23rd, which of course is Christmas Eve, Eve, you know, two days, uh, two nights before um, the birth of Christ. Well, when the monks went out to the garden to harvest um, the forgotten radishes, they discovered all these gigantic radishes. They were so excited. They were like, it's a pretty Christmas miracle. And so they raced into town um, to the Christmas market with their supersized radishes. The next few years after, um, after that, someone figured out that if you intentionally leave 
radishes in the ground longer than you're supposed to, they can grow really, really big radishes. And the next thing you know, the whole state of Oaxaca had learned the secret and they started growing these supersized radishes and then pulling them up at Christmas time. You know, I'm going to guess that these old oversized radishes were pretty pungent and spicy and probably also pretty tough that nobody really wanted to eat them. But they still thought they were so cool to grow. So they kept taking them to the Christmas markets. When the novelty of giant radishes started to wear off, someone got the really excellent idea to turn these big ass radishes into a nativity scene. And they decided to carve them and use their radishes as stand-ins for Mary, Joseph, and baby Jesus. In 1897, um, there was a Wuhakan uh, government person who decided to create an official radish carving competition. And every year since, the state of Wuhaka holds radish carving festivals. Noche de Rabanos is so popular now that the government grows these radishes for their communities and they weigh and they sort and they distribute the official radishes for the carving competitions. Because radishes are perishable, participants only have one day to carve and erect their radish displays. It's like this wonderful big radish themed county fair and they have hundreds of entries every year and you pick a theme or a category and then you get your radish ration and then you start carving and people come from all over and they line up to see all the fabulous carved radish dioramas. Popular themes um, are those that are based in Mexican folklore or the kind they represent daily life in Mexico. Um, historic scenes like Mayans versus conquistadors are also popular, but it's the religious displays that are the most popular and people really love recreating Bible stories. Um, or the stories of like the saints and the miracle, um, you know, like, of course, the nativity scene or Our Lady of Guadalupe. Um, people have even recreated the Last Supper all out of radishes, giant red and white radishes. I just think this is so amazing and I'm putting Christmas in Oaxaca on my bucket list. I cannot wait to get in line and see some amazing radish carvings. Okay, um, I got to wrap up the show now. I want to thank you all for joining me in my backyard. I hope everyone um, had a lovely holiday and maybe you came up with some new goals to start off the new year. All right, we'll catch you next time. Bye. Prince.
production assistance provided by KBSR, Black Sparrow Radio. Original music created by Alex Cuervo. Discover more of his music at alexcuervo.tv. If you love plants and gardening in Central Texas, be sure to click the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts and never miss seasonal information on Plow and Hose. Plow and Hose is written and recorded at my home in Taylor, Texas.